what up? It's Hollywood Unlocked with Jason Lee Uncensored. I'm Jason Lee. I'm Blue Toulouse Ma. Hey, it's DJ Damage. All right, so listen, you know, today we're going to switch it up. And although we get into a lot of recklessness, one thing that's reckless in this country is our judicial system and the prisons that incarcerate a lot of the people that we love. Growing up, one of my brothers, the brother that I talk about in my book, God Must Have Forgot About Me, um, Rodney, he was in prison for a larger part of my younger years. And like a lot of us, uh, people of color, you know, a lot of our family members or friends or people that we love have found themselves in trouble with the law, whether it was justifiable or not. Some incarcerated for things that they did or allegedly did and never did. Um, and the big conversation in this country right now is prison reform. And so today's show, I'm so excited that we get to finally meet the person, Dante Westmoreland, who I told you all a lot about here on mm -hmm. Hollywood Unlocked. Uh, that I was working to get out of prison. And so he's actually out now and will be joining us. And we have Congresswoman Karen Bassis, uh, who's stopping by to talk about it because she's doing a lot of work as the chair of the Congressional Black Caucus. And she's somebody that's been accessible to us and very supportive. And so she's going to stop by and talk about that work and also meet Dante for the first time. So Damage Blue, have you guys ever had anybody that you know who's been in prison, wrongly incarcerated, or has been there and, and given more time than they probably should have? Absolutely. In fact, um, that's actually something that's near and dear to my heart. My uncle was actually falsely imprisoned and he died on my birthday. So that's mm. why prison reform is so important to me because it's supposed to be innocent until proven guilty. But the way people get treated in the system, it's almost like they're all treated like cattle the minute they hit it and they're dehumanized. Yeah, yeah. I, I have friends that I wouldn't say that um, have been wrongly um, locked up or but there's been cases where they didn't know all of their rights and had received more time than they probably were supposed to for the alleged crime that they did so i definitely i'm, I'm a strong supporter of prison reform well you know here's the deal you are in this country you are innocent until proven guilty if you're white if you're black or brown black you might get killed before you get to court and brown you might just be put in a cage so i mean let's keep it real like in this country the conversation that we're having is not as important to the masses because a lot of people ain't showing up to visiting rooms like we are to visit family members because their people aren't overpopulating prisons. And I think that, you know, when I wrote the book and started discovering what platforms I wanted to start lending my time to, one just happened to be a very personal experience with Dante because this is a person that I've known for a very long time who had never been in trouble with the law, got in trouble one time, first time taken to prison for eight years for a crime that in this country he would be considered you know, a successful entrepreneur and celebrated. So what do you think it's going to take for people to keep elevating these conversations? Because I feel like if it doesn't, uh, if it doesn't hurt people who matter in mm -hmm. this country, it's not a priority. I just love the fact that you guys did mention what happens, even if you did do the crime that you were um, locked up for, because a lot of times we, especially in the black community, we fall into respectability politics and we're like, well, he shouldn't have been doing that. So he deserves whatever he gets. That's actually not true. Think about Dylan Roof. Dylan Roof shot up a bunch of people in Emmanuel Church, and he went to Burger King and got a lunch and was like handled more gently than an unarmed black man on the street. So I don't think that just because someone has done a crime that they deserve to be treated the way, the way that they're treated. And the disparity between first-time offenders when they're people of color versus like career criminals who are white is jarring and disgusting. And so I love that we're doing this because we're going to finally give a face to this cause. Yeah. And a lot of people just need the resources and the understanding of how to get themselves out of a bad situation, because um, it's going to be really good to talk to Dante, because, like I said, I have friends that, you know, may have done stuff, but they're not supposed to serve the time that they're serving, but didn't have exactly. the education, didn't know 
uh, how to get the right lawyers, didn't know how to protect themselves. So yes, they may have did a crime that was kind of minor, but you're getting major consequences for that. So I think this conversation is going to be very helpful, especially for us on the outside who want to help our friends that's locked up. And with Dante's case, you know, looking at the disparity of how laws and consequences are applied state by state and then federal, right? You know, here we have, I think, Blue, what you were talking about, you know, to go along with that. Recently, Ricky Schroeder, the actor, he bailed the guy out of jail or helped get the guy out of jail who just killed somebody at a Black Lives Matter rally with an assault rifle and walked right by police. How can you even be out on a bail when you killed a whole human being. And so just looking at the disparity that this person who was allowed to get out and walk the earth and be around people in civilization after killing somebody was treated very differently than a Dante who was arrested for one pound of marijuana for the first time ever. And so as we explore this in this conversation, I hope that people who are listening and watching really understand that this is not going to change overnight. And it's not going to change just because we have one interview with one individual who happened to have resources to get out of prison this is only going to change if we get more active in the political systems in our communities and by electing people who want to see disparities like this change in our country. We also need to be really, really careful about throwing away people and dismissing them as thugs just because they have a record. Because I hope Dante's going to show you guys that someone can have a mistake and go through the system and still be a huge, huge asset to society. Yeah. And I mean, unless you have a family member or a close friend or somebody that you grew up with that's actually been to prison and you've never experienced losing the person, it's like a temporary death, right? When they're out mm -hmm. of your lives for so long and then having to, you know, be put back into society and learn how to adjust with the time lost, technology passing them by, opportunities fleeting. And then now for Dante to be out in the middle of a pandemic, you know, and the world be very right. different than when he went to prison, you know, four years ago. It's some and, and have no support services to to uh, to support a person that's transitioning back into the community. And then you wonder why our community has the recidivism rate that they do. And exactly. I was also thinking, you know, as I was thinking about Dante, I was thinking about how people in this country view people in prison. And it goes back to that documentary I watched, Blue and Damage. I don't know if you saw the 13th Amendment. Cool. Oh, yeah. Ava. Ava's movie. It was amazing. Baby Ava, she she lit a fire under all our asses with that one. If you haven't seen the third, we're not even getting paid to promote this. Okay, Netflix has not cut the coin, so I'm gonna yes. go ahead and give you just because because Blue, you already know you got bleeped a couple times on the show giving away free promo to that girl that's Sorry. the world. But the Thirteenth Amendment falls right in line with what we're talking about here because it actually shows you how systemic racism shows up today. And I've always said that credit, you know, is another form of systemic racism. But, you know, the prison system, absolutely, when you see the evolution of policing in this country, you, you definitely will start to have different um, uh, optics when you see what's happening on social media. And so I, I just really hope that people are becoming more and more educated as the, as the three of us have become on what's actually happening all around us. And speaking of recidivism, because a lot of people don't know that word, but it's really important. It literally is just a really big, pretty word that means how likely are you to come out of jail and go right back in? And in the state of mm -hmm. California, the recidivism rate is 66%. So if you are a person who has come out of jail in California, you have a 66% chance of going right back in. And think about that. Why is that? And there's a reason for that. It's not a fluke. It's systemic. And plot twist, most of the people who have those high rates are black and brown people the very viewers who watch the show. So I love and that you mentioned recidivism. Yeah. 
Well, one of my, well, I learned that word in one of my former jobs. Brace yourself. I was a probation officer for three years. And oh. I actually <laughs> actually got into that work because I wanted to help kids who had been in the system like me. And I really thought the way you change is from the inside, right? And so right. I got the job. I did a great job in the job. But I but one thing that I noticed very quickly was when I worked inside of the juvenile hall institution was the same kids kept coming back mm-hmm. in. And I had developed a personal relationship with these kids where, you know, when you house them for six months while they're on trial, you're feeding them every day. You know, you're you're making sure they have clean clothes. You're you're working them out. You're taking them to school. You're helping them with their homework. You really start to develop feelings like, you know, these kids and then to see them leave and then sometimes come back the next week and then keep coming back and get more charges and more time and then go to youth authority in prison. It was a very depressing experience. And so. Those are for people that I don't even know or love. This is this conversation today is about a person that I know very closely, and that is a part of my uh, small circle and from my hometown. And so let's get into it. So Dante's here. Uh, this is Dante West. And um, Dante is not in prison. And so we're going to talk about the journey of when, when we started talking about his case on the show to him now being out of prison. But first of all, Dante, how does it feel to be out? Oh man, it feels fantastic. It's nothing like freedom. That's so, that. okay. and so Dante and I are both from a city called Stockton, California. Uh, Dante, at the time when you went to prison, you were how old? When I went to prison, I was 22, I believe. Explain to everybody exactly what happened and, and what led up to you being in prison. What was life like before and then what happened? Yeah, so what, what led up to prison for me was um, basically, you know, my grandmother told me to take a trip to Tabor University. Uh, my co-defendant, uh, Deshaun Perkins, yeah, I got a football scholarship to go to the school. So I, I decided to tag along. I had brought some buddies with me. Uh, they were in a green Lexus. So we were riding back to back. So we were traveling to Kansas. Um, we get pulled over uh, maybe like 20 minutes when we're into Kansas, we get pulled over. Um, they said my license plate was dirty. They were real curious about the other car that was with me. They said we were being a decoy load car. They were real curious about the other car, but the other car had exited before I even got, you know, to my final destination. So, you know, they gave us a ticket. They found a little, a little amount of marijuana. They had gave my co-defendant a ticket. They told us to go to the Shell gas station to clean off the license plate. You know, we proceed to the Shell gas station, clean the license plate off. And they followed us all the way into Manhattan, Kansas, which is another town about 40 minutes. I had let the officer know that I'm going to Manhattan, Kansas, um, visiting a friend. I'm going to shower and then we're going to continue to Tabor University, which my co-defendant had a scholarship to. And when we got to the apartment, they have followed us. They set up surveillance and they watched us go inside of apartment. Uh, 20 minutes later, the Lexus had came to the same apartment because they both had the same GPS. That's how the Lexus came in. Um, they had bounced. I mean, we had left the apartment, uh, went up to Kansas State uh, when my co-defendants had got there. Um, they were in the apartment uh, hanging with the dude that I was coming to visit. You know, the police came out of nowhere. They detained us. Uh, once they looked through the window, my co-defendants had took off running to another town called Topeka, Kansas. And when they did take off running, you know, they were real. They were furious because they didn't catch him. Uh, they searched my car again. I didn't have nothing in my car. Um, 
then they searched the green Lexus when they found when they when they searched the green Lexus, they found drugs, they found several pounds of marijuana, mm. you know, and other drugs. Um, they were real aggravated with us. And they decided, you know, we're going to go ahead and arrest you for the drugs that was in a, a vehicle that's not yours. So <clears throat> they searched the apartment of the guy I was visiting. When they had searched the apartment, the guy I was visiting, a uh, Caucasian male, he had a bunch of oxys, bunch of other drugs in the house that they did not charge him for. Wow. Uh, so they gave him a deal in exchange for testimony for him not to be convicted. Uh, my other two uh, my other two co-defendants, uh, co they took probations when they took off running. They had a little bit more money on me, so they had a better lawyer. Uh, the one that was with me, uh, my co-defendant, uh, he got 40 months. They said he was doing counter surveillance. And then uh, they gave me the maximum time they can give me. They gave me uh, 92 months, seven years, eight months, pretty close to eight years. If you lose your good time, you, you can do eight years. But, you know, they convicted me off of a dude just solely off his testimony and there wasn't no phone records there wasn't no but let, but let, but let me yeah. let me jump in and ask now you were convicted were you convicted of one pound of marijuana possession yeah, of one I pound was, yeah so i was convicted when the jury trial was said and done i was convicted for one pound of marijuana and how they obtained that conviction was when he came in to testify on me he said i was going to purchase one pound from dante westmoreland wow and wow. so that one pound, and from my understanding is, I mean, I knew you before this conviction. That was the, that was the first time you had ever been convicted, right? Or ever yeah. charged and convicted with something. Yeah, no criminal history. And the thing, so, the thing I, about Kansas, not, not to cut you off, but the interesting about Kansas, one pound and 66 pounds is all the same charge. There's no difference. It's, it's mm. a mandatory minimum between one pound and 66 pounds. Wow. Okay, and so... When you were convicted at the time, um, I knew your personal life. You were living with your grandmother who was um, she was she wasn't in the best health and you were taking care of your two brothers. Right. Yes. My grandmother grew ill. I became her caregiver. I was taking care of her. Um, she grew ill like my 11th and 12th grade year of high school. I graduated in 2013. And, um, you know, I was just, I, I used to clean up after her, bathe her, um, just really do everything I can to, you know, be the sole supporter. Uh, my mother was on drugs. She was in the streets. Uh, we never knew our father. So, I, you know, I had to play the role of really helping those kids out. So I would cook, clean, you know, do everything, go pay the bills, just play play the sole supporter. So, you know, raising them, you know, she was like, it's more to life than just taking care of me, being a caregiver. You know, go out, go explore, go go with your friend, your co-defendant Perkins to college and, and see what the college experience is like. And I knew I couldn't do that based on the circumstances that I was adjusted to. I knew if I went out to college many states away, who was going to take care of my younger brothers? Who was going to take care of my grandmother? There wasn't no immediate family to kind of step in and say, hey, Dante, go pursue your dreams. You know, I was really, you know, bond to that, which I enjoyed doing it. I didn't mind doing it, but I was kind of bond to taking care of my family. And unfortunately, she passed away during my jury trial mm -hmm. and my brothers went oh, to foster wow. care. Sorry about that, bro. I'm so sorry to hear that. I, I, I do want to get your point of view and your feelings on going through the system the first time, right? Mm -hmm. And hearing them create this fictional story about what happened. How did that make you feel when you're hearing this information in real time? What emotions did that bring out of you? I mean, 
when you first get in trouble and you got no criminal history and you're and you're going through the justice system, it's like they're speaking a different language until you really mm-hmm. comprehend what they're saying. I mean, the language is very important in there. And I mean, the biggest thing how they kind of did is just I didn't understand, you know, a lot of what was mm-hmm. going on in the courtroom. But, you know, down the line, I really started to understand more of how they wrongfully convicted me in a sense and how they obtained an evidence that was not actually accurate. And when you really sit back and look at the justice system, I feel like it's a priority for the judges and the prosecutor and everybody to be careful with the evidence they receive and make sure they take, you know, both sides. You know, you think about the justice system, you think about the scale, you know, it seems like the scale may have been tilted in my instance. Hmm. But just hearing the story, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, no. But just to hear the story and hear how somebody you was going to visit is now testifying against you and you're sitting there hearing this in real time. How did Mm -hmm. that make you feel? Did you feel betrayed in any way? Yeah, I just felt, I felt as if, you know, he felt like he had a way out. He was going to, he was a college kid. He, He was, he was known in the community, even though he did wrong. And I sit there and I seen someone on the stand testify on me on something that was, you know, not accurate. It's just, it really, it really, you know, makes me angry because, you know, you're taking a significant amount of freedom away from me. And when you see that, it's just a shock. Literally what happened to you could happen to any one of us. Like for me, I can go visit a friend tomorrow and be put in the same situation. Being that you've been through the system, you've been locked up. What is some advice you have for people out there that might find themselves in the same exact predicament where the cops are building a case against them or someone's taking a plea, what can they do to protect themselves? Yeah, really just know the facts of your case. I think that's very important. I mean, case law is needed, but the evidence Mm. in your case would wins the case. So I think um, just basically just be, you know, be, you know, you got to fight. I mean, in the courtroom, it's, it's a real fight. So you have to make sure that you stay focused, you know the facts of your case, and you communicate with your counsel as much as you can that way, if you don't understand something, even if you're bugging them, you know, that's their job. Even if you got a public defender or you retain counsel, you want to make sure that you stay on them and you stay focused on your case until it's over. I, I made a mistake on my end because I didn't think a marijuana case was going to really take that much of my time, but I made that mistake. And that's something I wish I would have knew in the beginning. Well, while you were going through the trial, just kind of going off of what Damage asked, did you feel? Did you ever feel like you were going to win the case? And then, if you if you felt like you possibly were going to lose, did you ever think that you would get eight years for the first uh, offense of uh, you know one pound of marijuana? Yeah, I mean, I always I felt like I was going to win the case because the evidence was weak. I mean, it was one person saying that I did it with no supports to fact, you know, no supports really supported what he was saying. Um, so. I felt like I was going to win, but then I got this, you know, I got unhopeful when my lawyer filed a motion and said that he's sick and he never prepared for my case. Two days before my trial, he had told the judge, hey, uh, I didn't even read his case. I didn't prepare for it. I didn't do no work on it. We go to we go to wow. trial in two days. Um, can I get a continuance? And the judge was like, no, you can't get a continuance. We had this case for over a year. You should have did some work on it. And that was unfortunate in my situation. So just make sure, you know, whoever you are, just make sure you stay on, on top and communicating with your attorney religiously. 
All right. So with all of the work that I did with uh, 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 that you did with, uh, you know, all of your friends, family, the last prisoner project, the congresswoman who's coming on soon. Now you're out of prison and tell everybody why were you released? How were you released and how was it communicated to you about what happened and what's coming next? Yeah. So everybody advocated so good to the point I think it shed light on my situation. So what the district attorney did was dive back into my case uh, with my counsel, investigated the person that told on me. Um, he revealed that there was a deal made for them not to charge him for him to testify. And during my previous trial, that was not disclosed to the jury. And when you don't disclose something like that to the jury, it's paramount to the case because you cannot obtain a conviction if not all the evidence is presented to the jury. So um, the district attorney did a good job in um, it, the district attorney that convicted me. Uh, he went on to private practice, but the head district attorney, when he dove into my case, he said that, you know, for it to be any questions, I'm going to go ahead and just retry you. You know, I don't agree with the retry, but he gave me opportunity to be free. And he realized that my conviction was unconstitutional. And just to be just and fair with all the light surrounding it through everybody, Jason, the Congresswoman and everybody around, I think that kind of, you know, made him want to do the right thing and which he should do the right thing. You've talked a lot and you've spoken really brilliantly about how to be your own advocate, which mm -hmm. is something that I think a lot of people don't have the wherewithal to think about being their own advocate on top of having legal counsel. But what kind of emotional toll um, did it take on your family? Because I know as a woman that if my brother or my boyfriend or my husband or my you know grandson went to jail, a lot of times we're left behind. And I can't imagine that the women in your family or the people in your family in general, um, they took this well. This is a devastating case yeah. that's clearly unlawful. Yeah. I mean, of course, I think my little brothers was impacted the most. I mean, during my trial, my grandmother passed away. I mean, this is a person oh, wow. I raised since I was two years old. I mean, this is the only person I've ever known. Um, I knew my mother from a distance because she was in the streets. You know, I would go to downtown Stockton, uh, Spring Street. I mean, just different areas of California and just look for my mom at parks. And she, you know, she would want to come home, but she would never show up. So my grandmother raised me and I built a bond with her, just being her caregiver and just being her grandson for so many years. And when I lost her to this case and I had bonded out and I had got back and my grandmother wasn't there and my little brothers was, you know, scared because they didn't know if they were going to go where they were going to go, where they're going to get separated. I mean, I couldn't imagine a 10 and 11 year old little boy, you know, wondering that my little, my big brother is going to prison and this person has been in my life since ever, you know, but I, I was blessed to have a family that opened the door and just kind of watched over for him until, I got released. And that's what think ultimately gave me the motivation mm. to not give up on obtaining my freedom because I felt the sentence was not just. Absolutely. What was the last conversation that you had with your grandmother? I, the last conversation I had with my grandmother, and, and this is when I was in the jail, I was on the phone with her and she was on her deathbed. And she just said, you will go home. You know, that was her last few words. And I love you. You will go home. And that's just been in the back of my mind forever. I mean, that's what just gave me the motivation when someone when her last four words was focused on me going home. I just had the ultimate motivation to go do that. I just couldn't take no. And 
it just, you know, I think about it, I tear up because I love my grandmother so much. She was just an amazing woman, author, everything. All right, y'all, it's time for another Hollywood hookup. So imagine this. You're making a list of gifts you're going to buy for the holidays, and then someone randomly gives you money to help buy one. Sounds good, right? Well, that's what Honey is doing. They're helping pay for $1 million worth of gifts. So you're probably wondering, is this the same Honey that automatically searches for promo codes online? If you're thinking that, yes, you're right. And yes, it is. Ain't nothing like getting a little bit of Honey right before the holidays. Honey is zaddy. (laughs) (laughs) So look, with Honey, you can also make a list of holiday gifts you want from certain stores, and Honey will email you when the price drops on anything on that list. Talk about clutch. I mean, the fact that they're giving you a heads up on a deal so you can save some coins, I mean, why wouldn't you want no Honey? Mm -hmm. So just add Honey to your computer, create a free account, and throw some holiday gifts on your drop list for a chance to win. Honey will randomly select winners and give them money to help buy them something off their list. So crazy, so incredible. Now, you know, I've been talking a little bit about the little spoon in New York City, so I'm going to drop some cologne in the bag. That way, whenever I'm not around, that little spoon could smell like me. Oh, my God. Can I add a Birkin? Can I add a Birkin to my, my cart and see what Honey does with that? Good yeah. luck with that. I'm trying to get the PS5. That's just as rare as a Birkin. I need True. to do damage. So this is how it works. No purchase is necessary. You need a PayPal account to redeem the prize, and it's only valid in the U.S., Giveaway ends on 12-21-2020. So on the 21st, that's your last chance. So get Honey for free at joinhoney.com slash unlock. That's joinhoney.com slash unlock. Man, go get you some honey, and that's your Hollywood hookup. In summation, when was the exact moment when it occurred to you that this was probably racially motivated? Because from the outside looking in, it's kind of obvious. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the statistics, I mean, 95% of people get probation, 5% go to prison, and everybody had a hunch that the 5% that went to prison was minorities in the state of Kansas. But I think even the bigger thing is, I mean, if you think about, you know, the black and brown community, and when they do get in trouble, I mean, they don't have money for lawyers, uh, they don't have money for bonds. So, and if you think about in my situation, like the dude that testified on me, he was in a position where they knew that if we did charge him, we would probably lose because he would get a good lawyer. You know, the dad won't donate to the school. So when you think about things like that, we're we're already on an unequal basis. So that's why I felt like maybe in a sense it was racially motivated. A lot of us, if we get into the situation, we never dealt with it before. What can you do while you're locked up? to help your own case? Like, is there any resources? What can you do to help your own lawyer? Yeah. So there's there's federal law and a lot of states have regulation where they have a law library. It's called LexisNexis. I mean, you can go on there and type in any case. It updates um, every other day, all new cases. And, 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 and read the cases that lose because that's going to point out why they lost. See, mm-hmm. a mistake I did was I would read the case that we're winning but when you focus on the losing and why they lost, that's how you obtain a winnable case. So I think mm. it's important for people to read, um, stay educated, and stay informed, and you'll be fine. 
And now I want to bring in somebody who's been special to this show and somebody who is out there doing the real work uh, that we elect people to do. And this was somebody who I reached out to to personally see how we could get somebody who I've seen online and in action in Congress, the chair of the uh, Congressional Black Caucus, uh, Congressman Karen Bass. Um, I have to say, I appreciate you so much. I really love how accessible, like you really don't feel like government to me. You feel like a friend in power who cares about people, real people and real issues. And I just want to say on behalf of Hollywood Unlocked and all of our supporters that we really appreciate how available you've been to us, uh, not just with um, the Dante Westmoreland case, but also with, you know, Tiffany Haddish wanting to create a grocery store in the community that she lives in. And so just thank you so much for being so helpful. I really appreciate it. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so I want to introduce you to Dante. Dante is the guy who I reached out to you about, who you know was incarcerated in uh, Kansas, who's from California. And Dante, this is the congresswoman who, uh, you know, was helping us help you. So I'm glad to introduce you to him. <laughs> yeah, it's so, it's so nice to finally meet you. I mean, I know it's not in person because of the pandemic, but it feels good to get put a face. And I just want to thank you for just advocating for me the way you did, you and Jason and everybody. I mean, I couldn't have did it with you, without you guys. Well, I am very excited to meet you. This this is great. Reading about you, talking about you, acting like I knew you all the time <laughs> when I was talking to the powers that be. <laughs> so it is is wonderful. I'm glad you're out. I know you still face a trial, but hopefully it will be a completely different circumstance than it was before. And then just wanting to get you out of there. I mean, that's why I asked about your health. Because I know that, um, you know, you've had some um, health challenges and I desperately worry about our brothers and sisters that are behind bars and uh, and what is happening with COVID. So, um, you're, you know, I'm, I'm very glad to meet you. Thank you. Congresswoman, you, you've been, and Congresswoman, you've been one of the main people and main voices uh, in Congress and in the government talking a lot about how not just the disparities in prison is, itself, but with COVID. And, you know, Dante, as you mentioned, was one of the people that caught COVID in prison. Uh, and a lot of people that he was sending me videos, videos had surfaced on Reddit of what was happening in these prisons. Why is it that, you know, until I saw the work that you were doing and knowing a personal person impacted by this, why do you think people are so just absent on how important this issue is? Well, one, because the person at the top, <laughs> let me let me control myself. Uh, <laughs> the person in the White Speak House that we're trying to evict right now, um, it's because it starts at the top. If you have the leader who will not even acknowledge the problem, and then knowing that, you know, he is not concerned about people who are incarcerated, that's why. And, you know, to me, it just it, it was a no brainer when the when the pandemic started and everybody was talking about nursing homes. I, I'm concerned about nursing homes, too. But we raised and it wasn't just me. It was members of the Congressional Black Caucus, the Hispanic Caucus, the Asian Caucus. We all raised our concerns about people who were behind bars. Now, how are you going to talk about social spacing and washing hands and gloves behind bars? This doesn't make any sense. And so that's that's what worries me. I still worry about it. And as a matter of fact, I just received a notice a few minutes ago that we're going to have a hearing. You know, Dante, I chair this committee in Congress that mm. deals with criminal justice issues. And so um, I've been asking to do a hearing with the Bureau of Prisons 
to essentially hold their feet to the fire. I mean, you know, we, we have a number of people that have died in these prisons now and they should have been let out. And so um, so it's it's an issue. And every now and then, you know, the news just covers whatever the flavor of the day is. And uh, and we have to keep elevating this issue. And, you know, I'd like to ask you, Dante, if you'd be willing to talk about it, because, you know, maybe we have you talk about it at at one of our hearings. I mean, of course. I mean, that'd be an honor. I would love just to share my story and maybe I can just put a, a face. Maybe I could put a face behind the story that I'm telling and maybe it'll it'll help make a pivotal move to making a change. All I want to do is make a change and help others because I, I, I got a firsthand experience on how everything is. So, Dante, um, can you explain what was the experience like in prison as a prisoner? Uh, confined behind those walls um, and then COVID come into the prison. What did you see? What was the experience like for you? Yeah, I mean, in the COVID, I mean, COVID was, I mean, it's new to everybody and it's especially new to the prison system. I mean, I think in Kansas, we were the highest, we were the COVID hub for the quarantine. I mean, guards passed away, inmates, a, a lot of inmates passed away. People were dying. I mean, uh, it was just a horrible feeling, but just being incarcerated, sitting in a cell and just how dirty a prison is, you always wonder in the back of your mind, like I had asthma. So I was thinking, would the asthma affect me? Did I get a death sentence? Was I sentenced to death for right. first time marijuana conviction? You know, that's what I got to sense. That's why I worked so hard to be released, because it made no sense for me to sit in a cell and just take something that I felt like I didn't deserve. And especially with a pandemic going on with no cure and, you know, the health system may not be the best, even though they got one. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people don't see you as a human. They see you as a number in prison. And that's the unfortunate thing. Yes. I uh, went and visited a prison in my city in Los Angeles because I was working on getting people out there. And uh, it was interesting because they tested the people in the prison, they tested the inmates regularly, but they didn't test the staff. How mm. crazy is that? It's the staff that comes and goes exactly. <laughs> that's bringing COVID in. And, uh, and so it's, it's really kind of crazy stuff like that, but all of that starts at the top. And so I'm just counting the days till we can get rid of these people and bring in President Biden and Vice President Harris so we can really begin to make a difference on these issues. Now, Congresswoman, one thing that was interesting about Dante's case and just in talking with you and, and learning and being a person who lives in California and seeing the disparity of law all over the country, in particular right. how it affects our people, Dante was sentenced to eight years in prison in one state where he could be a multimillionaire entrepreneur in this state. And exactly. I never thought about it that way uh, until you got involved. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Some of it I don't even want to say in front of Dante because I don't want to make you feel bad. But uh, yes, in in California and in Los Angeles, uh, if you have a nonviolent marijuana conviction, you go to the front of the line to get a marijuana license to sell legally. I mean, you know, it's it's really the disparity is is just shocking. And it's really something that our country is going to look back at it a few years from now and go, oh my God. And I just think of the people all around the country 
who were incarcerated for marijuana. And then, you know, what happens to uh, women and to mothers, you know, you, you go to a state like Alabama and you're a woman and you get a five-year marijuana sentence, you know, you can lose your kids because if you don't get your kids back within 12 months, they put the kids up for adoption. And so I said to them, I said, well, what if your sentence was longer than a year? Well, so, uh, Congresswoman, um, you know, you were in talks to become the vice president of the United States. Yes. I was over here, fingers crossed, praying. I was posting. I was asking people to vote. Uh, and then, you know, that didn't happen. But now Kamala Harris, the first African-American and first female vice president of the United States, is in the White House. How amazing is that? And what is your next move? Because I know you got to be up to something. Well, well, first of all, it's going to be very exciting in January to watch her be sworn in. I mean, you have the first woman, the first black woman, part Asian. I mean, that's just really going to be very exciting. The most important thing, though, is that I think it's going to signal a new day in our country where we can address some of these issues, you know, that we're talking about. In terms of myself, you know, it doesn't matter where I am. I'm going to be working on the same issues. <laughs> I'm going to be working on freeing our people because I feel like, you know, we went through 256 years of enslavement in this country. And now we have a system where if you don't have the right lawyers, you know, you're, you're, you're locked up. And so I consider it my life's mission, regardless of where I am. You know, there's talk about me doing all these things. Dante, I read in the paper every day about all these different jobs I'm supposed to get. Uh, the only thing is, is that nobody's really talking to me about it. I just, you know, read about myself. So I, I have a question about I'm, that. I will be working on the same issues if I'm here or if I go in the administration or who knows what else. So when it comes to these jobs that you are clearly very qualified for, it's been a big push for us to have another woman of color um, in Kamala's now vacant seat. There's been a push for you to potentially be a part of the Biden administration. Do you have a preference about either place? Because I feel like you could do everything. You know, it's wherever I can best serve. But there is a push. And I think that that push is right. Because um, with Kamala's departure, there are no black women in the Senate. And so that should happen. And so they have they've called upon uh, Barbara Lee and myself to allow our names to be put forward. We're doing that. The two of us are very close friends. You talk about somebody that has spent years working for reform of the criminal justice system. It's Barbara Lee. And um, and so we'll see where the governor goes. But basically, wherever I'm called upon to serve, I will do it, but my agenda will not change. We would love you, now, both after, of you. Both of you ladies would be great, actually. I'm just saying. And and listen, if you do become a part of Biden's cabinet, I want to serve on the inauguration committee. I know a couple of entertainers <laughs> who can come and turn out, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Jason, no. <laughs> because really, 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 you know, looking at the eight years that we had the Obamas and that we had the spirit mm -hmm. of our culture in the White House and just the diversity that they brought to the White House. And then to see over the last four years what has happened in decimating that image for young black and brown kids is just so heartbreaking. So to be able to see Biden and Kamala there and the idea of you being a part of either that administration or the Senate is just um, it's really important. And so I, I really pray that it that it does happen. Thank you. I appreciate that. But if it doesn't and I have my current job, I'm happy with that as well, 
because I can work on criminal justice reform, foster care system, which Dante, I believe that the foster care system is the system that you graduate from foster care to go into, uh, you know, into prison. Hmm. So, so Congresswoman, let me ask you, now that Dante's out, I've had conversations with Van Jones uh, and, and, and I felt really ignorant because when I talked to him, he told me he's been fighting for prison reform for 26 years. And I know it's been an issue, but to hear how exhausting it's been and, and that God has now blessed Dante with, you know, resources and, 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 and things to happen to um, get him out of prison. How can he be helpful and how can he help you uh, fight the good fight? So we've been working on it a very long time. As a matter of fact, Dante, I was really worried way back in the 80s when we saw all the laws change because we knew we were going to have mass incarceration. We could see it happening. And so I was working then um, on a street level trying to build up support against legislation that we felt was going to just lock our people up. And so, you know, I'm hoping that that we have learned in our country and now we're beginning to turn the page. But you could play a very, very important role. And I know I want to call on you. I'm go- I want to know if I can have your information, because in a couple of weeks we're going to have this hearing. And, uh, you know, maybe you can maybe you can share your story. I think it would be uh, it would be helpful, especially because you caught COVID there. And, you know, you're a healthy young man. I mean, what about the people who are in prison who are not, who are older? Yeah. I mean, a lot, I mean, seeing it is like being in a cemetery in prison. I mean, at one point, it was over a thousand inmates that caught COVID. I mean, about a handful died. And even guards, even their own staff start passing away over to COVID. And I think it's important for people to take it very seriously because it's not a game. And when I caught COVID, I mean, I was, in a sense, I was asymptomatic, but I lost my sense of taste, my sense of smell, but also I lost my sense of hope being around people that were passing away in a criminal justice. Right. And, And in losing that sense of hope, Dante, one conversation I had with you goes along with the question that she asked and you didn't answer. So I'm gonna give you a chance to answer it again, because you already know where I'm at with it. Exactly. Now that you you got blessed with an opportunity that a lot of people right now don't have in prison, where they are mm-hmm. fighting to get out, writing letters, writing to their congressmen and women, senators, the presidents, and you got the chance to get out. So I remember I told you when you came to visit me here in L.A. is, you know, you were almost blessed with the trial and the tribulation that led you to a platform that you could really be transformative and helping to bring about awareness and change. So. Uh, you're going to step up, of course, and help the congresswoman and all of us, right? Yeah, of course. I mean, it's, just, it's, just an honor. it's an honor that Congresswoman Karen Bass believes in me and believes in my story. And I, I just think it's just an honor just to come all the way out there and just to speak. And I mean, if I could be a part just of a little change, of a bigger change, I mean, that's going to be just an amazing feeling. I'm not only helping myself, but I'm helping maybe millions of others down the line. And that's the bigger picture. And I, I just feel honored and I can't wait to attack it full steam ahead. I uh, thank Jason, you. Jason, Jason, I have to say I'm I'm very proud. I've never been prouder to be on this show than I am today. This is amazing content. This is exactly what people need to see. Um the fact that you use your platform and you were able to with the Congresswoman do something like this is kind of epic. Um, but I wanna know for like people who are watching, who are in Jason's position, who know or Dante, 
What would be their first steps if they don't have a huge media platform to get the ball rolling to help somebody out in the same way? Mm. I didn't even think about having no social media following. I started like from the ground up. So I think I had mentioned this before, but I wrote every state house of representative in Kansas, 125 of them. I wrote 40 senators. I wrote everyone a handwritten letter. I only got four responses back. One dude came and seen me. Um, first Republican state of Kansas, uh, Willie Dove. He came to see me in the middle of the pandemic just to hear my story and to advocate for me. But I mean, I could say this to people, just when you want something, don't take no for an answer. If you know what's right, go all the way forward because good is going to come out of people that work hard. You work hard enough, you will get results. So, I mean, even if you don't got a platform, I mean, I even wrote the newspaper. I just, I made sure every stone was overturned before I reached out to the bigger platforms. And I'm blessed that I got Jason and I'm very blessed that he got you on board to believe in me. And then everything just fell into a place to where I got released. And now I just got to feel like the mission isn't completed until we get the rest of the people out. Yes. Exactly. And Congresswoman, you were going to say, what, what would your advice be to people? I mean, I, I'm grateful to you and your staff. Uh, again, I can't express how uh, how responsive you and your team have been. Um, and the fact that you actually reached out and talk, had a conversation with the governor on behalf, uh, on Dante's behalf. What can what can people do who don't have maybe the influencer platform that I have or, you know, say access, direct access to somebody like you? Well, first of all, um, people can have access. And so, you know, reaching out to the Congressional Black Caucus through the Congressional Black Caucus's website. Now, uh, Dante, in in Congress, there are 54 of us right now, members of the Congressional Black Caucus. Every single one of us are committed to criminal justice reform. Mm. And so I think reaching out to us and telling people to contact us through the website would be the first step. You know, an even better step, of course, is your own member of Congress, uh, especially if they are African-American. Mm-hmm. That's important. And, and, you know, how, how do we get these people in the government to care like you, though? And I'm not saying that because you're on the show. I'm saying that because I personally have had my own issues where I've reached out to, you know, establishments or or people in in the government before I had this platform, and you know they and we know the White House doesn't care right now about, right. about uh, black people or people of color. Uh, so how do we get those people to really truly care and pay attention to what may be small on their plate, but is a part of a much bigger problem? Well, one of the problems that we have in our country is that we are not we don't have any level of involvement with elected officials. We vote, mm. and then we figure that our job is done. I think voting is just the first step. So building a relationship with the people that represent you, and then you have to hold us accountable. Let me ask you this. When you found out that Biden won, did you do the electric slide? Were you, were you <laughs> jumping up and down? Did you go to church? What, what did you do? I, I just exhaled and said, the nightmare is almost over. Because this Woo-hoo! has been a nightmare. Well, I want to thank you for all the fearless work that yes. you've done. Um, I, I, I can say I, I believe in the government because of you and I believe in you and I do appreciate Aww. everything that you've done for Dante. You know, it's uh, from a personal perspective. You know, one thing Dante did is he would call me almost every day. It was annoying at times. I'd be like, damn, Dante, can I mean, I got to work. Can you quit calling every day. But he never lost hope. He never 
You know, he never quit. He never gave up. And you didn't give up on Dante. And I really appreciate it. And if I got to go pick up Dante myself and drive him over to the House of Congress or wherever y'all be at, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do my part. And um, anything you ever need from us, you know, you have a friend in Hollywood Unlocked and we'll always support you. Thank you. Well, Definitely. I appreciate that. And uh, I'm going to be following up with you. We'll follow up with you through Jason. Okay. Oh, we, oh we'll put, we're going to put that email together today. We All got right. you. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Vasquez. Appreciate Thank you. Thank you. I so love this glad so to much. See you. <laughs> All right. So now that the Congresswoman has come on and asked you to be a part of, you know, her mission to be a good advocate for other people that are in prison, especially in the midst of this COVID pandemic that's killing thousands and thousands of people throughout the prison system. Um, do you feel a heightened sense of responsibility to use this platform that you now have to share your story and to continue to advocate those that were left behind? Yes, um, just this experience, the experience of me being in prison and me being unjust. I just feel so motivated, motivated to work with Congressman Karen Bass. And I feel like now it's my mission. I feel like it's my duty to play my part in being a voice for the voiceless. I feel like uh, I need to be tuned in and I need to be aware of, you know, it's many people out there. I mean, I, I talked about this a lot with uh, Last Prisoner Project. There's so many people out there that are serving so much time. I mean, there's people that are serving life for marijuana. You know, uh, Corona Cooper was on BT a few minutes ago. I mean, yesterday. But it's just, I feel like it's my duty to work. And I, I'm just glad she's just opening a door for me to go speak because I know this is just only going to go up from here. So I'm just so motivated and I'm just ready to execute. Hmm. What was the greatest lesson in this whole experience for you? I mean, do you see any sense of responsibility that you have to take for you being arrested and incarcerated? Like, was there anything that you owned in that? And what was the greatest takeaway from uh, the whole experience? Yeah, you can't get time back. That's the most important thing. that I, That's the biggest lesson I turned to be in prison. So I think time is important and we should be able to use, I should, I want to utilize every minute now that I'm free for the greater good. Talk a little bit about Last Prisoner Project and the work that you're doing with them. Yeah, so the Last Prisoner Project is a nonprofit organization, um, and they work on releasing every cannabis prisoner in the U.S., and they will not rest until they do that. And um, the, uh, the, uh, the CEO is Steve D'Angelo. He's based out of uh, the Bay Area, and he owns Harborside Cannabis Club, and he's partnered with many other illegal cannabis clubs that made uh, a significant amount of money. And now they're just giving back and they're trying to find cases on trying to help people be released off something that helps people. It's medicine. I mean, they put it to the point like this. Would you rather have someone addicted to opioids and different addictive pills and substances? Or would you rather have someone consume a flower so it'd be more therapeutic for them? And I think it's kind of clear cut when they say things like that. And I just, a mission with them is just they, they, they set me up with housing, you know, and it was no need not met. And I just, I'm just ready to work for them and I'm ready to work for the Congresswoman and LPP has done a fantastic job. Last Prisoner Project has done a fantastic job just being by my side and like a family. Awesome. I just want to thank you for being here today because I think a lot of times when people hear about prison reform and what's happening in the judicial system, it feels distant to them. But I feel like a lot of our viewers are going to see themselves in you and it's going to make them rethink the way they think about all of this because it's really, really important and we all have to get involved. So thank you for sharing today. I really appreciate it. 
Thank you. Appreciate you listening. Nah, seriously. And when I see you, honestly, the same situation could have happened to me. And I feel like you dropped a lot of jewels for a lot of young guys out there that might be put in this situation. Your perseverance, man, how hard you worked and you didn't give up on yourself. And I feel like a lot of times us as black men, there's so many excuses for us to give up on ourselves. And hearing you talk, I don't know how you were before this, but I feel like this all happened for a reason. And I feel like Amen. you have a powerful voice. You're articulate. You know what you're talking about. If if I didn't know you and you told me your story, I would connect to you. So, man, honestly, just well wishes. And I'm glad you out. And please keep pushing because we can make a change. Man, I appreciate you. Appreciate it. You know, all three of you guys, I mean, you guys do a fantastic job just bringing awareness on a variety of topics. And I'm just glad that Jason, you know, has reached out and you guys reached out to me and just you know, give me a voice on a big platform that you guys just, I'm just so blessed and so honored because I know, I mean, Hollywood Unlocked is the, is the, is the biggest platform on the internet. Well, listen, hey. I will say, I'll say this. I, I mean, again, I know that even in my own life, I've looked at trials and tribulations and things that I've gone through. And at the time I didn't understand why, but I, I will say now that you've come out of it, you know, even if you are going to be tried again, you know, you now have a platform to where you can keep the work the important work of advocating for yourself and for others. And I just want to say it just is a testament of where we both come from in Stockton. You know, surviving the streets of Stockton isn't easy, but we we learn how to just keep on going. And the fact that you, you know, you were focused and every day you stayed in good spirits while you were fighting this fight. Congratulations on, you know, re, re, uh, retrieving your freedom mm -hmm. and being in a position to continue to advocate. So we applaud you and continue to uh, support you and we'll keep watching what happens with you so that way we can keep sharing and elevating your story and your voice so thank you so much for coming on the show appreciate it for more information on how you can get involved and help dante and the cause that he's supporting go to lastprisonerproject.com until then we're out peace. peace all right look that was a great show and make sure you keep coming back because we got all types of amazing interviews and topics that are going to make you go crazy uh-huh, that's right. That means like, subscribe, do everything you need to do to make sure you stay up to date with what we got going on. And ladies, stay tuned in because you know I have your back. And listen, make sure that you're commenting below because even though I say I don't read it on the show, that's all I do when it's over. Peace. Mm -hmm.